This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Convictions, monthly market analysis and asset allocation views. Hello to everyone. Uh, I hope you're all safe. And uh, today uh, I am with uh, Monica Defend, our chief economist, uh, and Vincent Mortier, our deputy uh, chief uh, investment officer. Uh, and the ambition uh, of this uh, Amundi uh, Blue conversation is to discuss a little bit uh, the themes, uh, the projections uh, that we have for the second half of the year uh, in Paris. At the moment, we have two things behind us: the heat wave first, and second, um, the uh, virus wave uh, second. Um, so uh, we. We are reasonably in an optimistic mood uh, in uh, in Paris at the moment, uh, but we're going to see immediately uh, if that optimistic mood uh, transfers into our convictions for the second part of the year. Uh, and I would like to start with you, Monica, first uh, with the macro picture. Uh, can you tell us a little bit what are the main global themes you're going to focus on uh, for the second half uh, of 2020? Uh, notably uh, based on the assumption that uh, probably uh, the most, uh, I would say, negative part of the pandemic peak uh, is uh, is behind us. So can you tell us what will be uh, the big global things on you, which you're going to focus on uh, for the second part of the year? Thank you, Jean-Jacques, and good morning to, to everyone. It is important uh, to focus on the investment themes as uh, they define the framework where we articulate our uh, investment conviction. The first big thing that uh, we do see is the interaction between central banks and, and fiscal policy. Um, the reason uh, this, is, uh, um, this is so crucial is because uh, we see the upside potential on interest rates are tempered by the strong demand coming from the uh, central bank's purchasing program. Uh, we do um, expect a recalibration uh, of the short end of the curve uh, just because many governments think about the U.S. or Germany as issuing debt on short-dated uh, maturity in order to uh, finance the uh, the emergency. And third, uh, this is uh, really creating a liquidity uh, abundance that um, is, the, is uh, the, the natural uh, place where you might expect uh, financial markets uh, to, to lift uh, in, a, in the case of um, the virus uh, containment, which is uh, our base case scenario. The second theme refers to the globalization. Uh, this is something that we envisage uh, already um, in 2019, but the COVID-19 pandemic actually created a new spin uh, into this, uh, this narrative, as it is really questioning the conventional wisdom about cross-border supply chains, just-in-time inventories management, or the reliance to, uh, on external demand to boost uh, internal demand. So this is basically creating opportunities that are extending from the emerging market, where this trend was already in place uh, at the end of last of last year to all countries and, uh, and regions that uh, are going to be backed by a credible uh, domestic growth story. The third theme uh, refers to the U.S. election. Uh, we can um, focus on that on the short term, uh, trying to, uh, to catch the volatility spikes that uh, might be uh, around the, the, the electoral campaign and how this will be played, because uh, it will be um, a really peculiar 
regular uh, campaign, I would say, and more in the uh, medium term, as soon as the outcome of the uh, election would be released, we really might see what the U.S.-China uh, narrative will be, uh, the uh, taxation uh, plans, the investment plans, and this will allow us to uh, reposition in the in the in the market. The uh, the third, the fourth theme refers to uh, global consumption. Consumer is really a key aspect uh, in uh, in the economic cycle. What we have seen is a shock uh, that was both on the supply side and on the demand side. And the consumer would be uh, the needle to set the speed uh, to the to the road to to recovery. So um, we've seen state intervention on that front with the unemployment benefit benefits in the U.S. the sure program in the in the euro in the euro area. But this uh, how the uh, labor market uh, will uh, will evolve and eventually uh, the, the the consumption will allow us to recalibrate the risk in the asset allocation and search for quality. Quality leads me to the final theme, the fifth, that refers to deficit sustainability and uh, EPS, uh, EPS growth. What we have seen uh, so far is a liquidity-driven uh, uh, driven rally, but we think that in the remainder of the year, it is likely uh, that the, the investors will be more focused on, uh, on fundamentals. So um, being selective on a cash-rich uh, rich balance sheet uh, will be one of the themes we will uh, follow um, into our stock selection. Okay, thank you very much, Monica. Uh, so uh, basically, given us the picture on the things you're going to follow uh, particularly, um, uh, we can presume that uh, you've changed uh, so your scenarios, both uh, central and uh, alternative, uh, accordingly. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit what are your expectations uh, for the global economy over the next few months? Um, because we've evolved uh, at uh, Amundi uh, on this question. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we were, let's say, reasonably uh, positive. Uh, then uh, we become uh, extremely cautious uh, and probably uh, more cautious uh, than uh, the consensus. Uh, so can you tell us where we are at the moment in terms of global macro perspectives? Yes, as, the, as uh, you were anticipating, this uh, global shock uh, resulting from the coronavirus pandemic has altered the sequence of economic and financial phases we were expecting at the uh, at the beginning of the year. Let's fix some of the key pillars uh, we envisage for uh, the uh, the next month to come. We expect uh, to uh, to see in a global dip short lever session. This will be confined into H1, so in the first part of 20, 2020. Uh, this will be followed by a short-term uh, rebound in the third quarter. And then in a gradual and prolonged uh, road, we will drift to pre-crisis uh, level. Uh, there will be a divergence in time and in size, meaning that uh, we expect the emerging market uh, to be back uh, to pre-crisis level by the second quarter of 2021, while for the advanced economy, we will need uh, to wait uh, at the end of uh, 2022. Um, our, um, our idea is, uh, is really that the base scenario um, will, be, will be this one and uh, the, uh, the trigger uh, to, uh, to the upside at this stage will likely be uh, the, the virus in uh, the, the virus and, and the finding of a, vac a vaccination so in the base scenario we believe that uh, 
uh, a second wave will be there, but this won't imply larger lockdowns. Lockdowns will take place, but they will be selective, so that uh, the spillover to the to labor uh, and therefore to uh, consumer consumption will be uh, will be smooth. Um, on the um, on the up downside scenario, uh, we not only have see some deterioration in the in the pandemic, but it will be really key crucial uh, to see. Um, how the monetary and fiscal policy will engage if they fail in transmitting liquidity into the real economy, was then how we might enter a global deflationary and stagflationary regime. Okay, thank you very much. So basically, uh, one very strong assumption that you have behind your scenario is the fact that uh, we will not go back to uh, general types of lockdowns uh, as we've seen uh, in uh, the first half of the year, uh, and therefore uh, we can uh, anticipate that even if there is a second, third wave, uh, the uh, impact on economy uh, will be uh, probably uh, mitigated. Uh, so, we, which leads us uh, to the consequences of the situation uh, on the market. Uh, and so, Vincent, uh, turning uh, to you, uh, so we've seen uh, initially uh, during the first half of the year a very severe uh, connection of the financial markets, uh, but U.S. equities are basically uh, back. Uh, to uh, where they were, um, almost uh, recovering uh, their year-to-date losses. Um, we can see today even the equity market continuing uh, to uh, recover, the credit market experiencing very strong demand. Uh, so basically, what is your view on this? Uh, do you maintain um, the rather, I would say, uh, conservative or prudent view that uh, we had so far uh, on the market, considering that uh, they may underestimate uh, the uh, ultimate uh, impact uh, of the crisis in the central banking environment uh, that uh, Monica describes. Yeah, thank you, Jean-Jacques. Um, so indeed, markets have uh, first fallen like a stone, very hard, but then were stabilized uh, thanks to some uh, massive uh, painkillers. And currently, I would say the, the markets are on steroids in such a way as you described that almost all the lockdowns have been uh, more or less erased. And in fact, central banks' uh, interventions, uh, which has been coupled with the government stimulus, and governments which has been pushed hard by central banks to do so, are totally driving the markets today. So there is a, a big assumption today um, among the most investors that they are finally holding a gigantic permanent put option uh, on central banks that will protect uh, them in all scenarios. So in this context, uh, as you mentioned, rates are deemed to remain ultra low uh, almost forever. Uh, inflation expectations are minimal. And so we have a kind of moral hazard which is progressing. So this pattern uh, is very powerful uh, and it should last uh, for a few weeks or months for the time being. But that being said, all this pattern relies on confidence. So if and when there will be any kind of doubts, even a small doubts regarding the firepower of central banks. If that are, if that are, get, are getting much worse, it's not totally straightforward, firepower will still be here. And or the political support, uh, remember we are entering into elections uh, phase in the US, uh, Europe is uh, complex uh, in governance, let's say. So second topic is up the political support, and third, uh, whether uh, trust will still be uh, full in the value of the currencies, and in particular uh, in the US dollar, 
given all the all the money which has been put in the system. So if you have if you start to have some dubs building regarding one or another dimension, then we can see a big dislocation in the market. Because this market is built on trust, trust in central banks and governments. So besides there's question marks and challenges which are significant and Monica named the named most of them. For the virus itself, uh, we need to continue to monitor because the situation is complex. The virus itself is not that well known. It can mute, it can come back. And as you have seen, to come back to the previous point, so far, in a way, bad news on this front can be perceived almost as good news, meaning more support coming. This might be cynical, but it's a reality. It might not last forever as well. And last point, the, the economic reality, and in particular the credit cycle, is to be watched because the disconnect between the financial sphere, the central banks, and the on-the-ground reality uh, at one stage cannot be uh, that disconnected forever. And there are growing flashing um, warning lights here or there. So recovery will probably take longer than what, that, than what markets are pricing in. Uh, defaults will come. Later than anticipated because of the support, but they will come. We have already seen a few of them, but it's just the appetizer. So uh, to answer your question, um, it's, uh, the market is very technical and volatile. Short term, probably constructive for what um, uh, for the reasons I explain. Medium long term, six months, one year time, it can be very shaky. So um, I think investors should be flexible in their approach. Well, thanks a lot, Vincent. And uh, I think you, you made a very good summary uh, of the first part of the year. Uh, and I quote you, or I rephrase, uh, uh, we've seen a market uh, that was a stone transforming to a put option by central banks uh, because of the use of painkillers. So it's a magic trick uh, that we shall uh, all remember. But it's, uh, it's uh, probably a very good way uh, to, uh, I would say, uh, frame out uh, the conversation. Uh, are then, Monica, uh, coming back to you, uh, um, Vincent mentioned uh, that uh, there are some uh, risks, uh, to say the least, that are uh, strongly uh, embedded uh, into the current situation we are living in. Uh, notably, uh, there is uh, the risk of uh, the level of debt, uh, the risk uh, of potential uh, emergence uh, of uh, hundreds or thousands of uh, zombie uh, companies. Um, from your perspective, uh, Monica, what are the things that are, uh, I would say, concerning you the most, uh, both short-term, medium-term, uh, so basically what keeps you uh, particularly uh, awake at night uh, at the moment, uh, and on the other side, uh, do you think that there are still good things uh, that are not priced in by the market? Because if we listen to Vincent, we have uh, the feeling that uh, all the good news are already in the market, but uh, do you think that there are some uh, hidden news Uh, hidden news that the market has not priced yet uh, and that uh, can continue uh, to uh, push uh, the uh, asset prices moving in the direction we see uh, from uh, the last uh, the last week. Yes, uh, thank you. So let's uh, uh, start with the, the the bad the the bad thoughts and our uh, our worries. As Vincent uh, was anticipating, really uh, the solvency issue and the potential increase of default rates is what is concerning us the most. Uh, the market is not pricing in um, a default spike. We are not uh, as well, but uh, we do expect uh, default rate to smooth 
smoothly increased. The reason of this uh, smoothness uh, in the in the dynamic uh, refers to the central bank's activity uh, pumping liquidity into uh, into the the, the system, and that is uh, eventually um, going to the the real economy and the state uh, uh, guarantees. So uh, net net, this uh, will uh, imply no spike, but uh, some some increase. And to give you a reference. Uh, uh, for the uh, U.S. in our base case scenario, we do have a 12 percent uh, default rate, 8 percent in uh, in Europe, which is almost 50 uh, percent higher uh, than uh, than uh, current level. But in the risk scenario, uh, we can even multiply twice uh, the the target that uh, I that I mentioned. Uh, another risk that is not pressed in by the um, uh, by the market that uh, refers to inflation. Uh, on inflation, uh, we do believe that uh, in the in the short term, uh, the forces are not in place uh, to um, to be uh, constructive on inflation just because uh, uh, the the demand side is uh, is so compressed. But you, you, we might have in 2021 some spikes uh, isolated just because of a base effect. Think about uh, the oil price uh, dynamics uh, uh, this year. But we do believe that in the medium term, uh, some inflation has to materialize. This is uh, uh, something that is uh, needed because of the uh, tones of debt uh, that uh, has been uh, accumulated uh, over time. And again, this is something that uh, it is uh, uh, not pricing by the market, but uh, that uh, eventually uh, we think uh, would, be, would, be, would be needed. So those are uh, basically the two things that uh, we are uh, currently uh, monitoring what the market is uh, is not pricing actually um, as uh, as Vincent and you said uh, if you look at the market performance and the reactions to what what uh, has, has happened actually the market is pricing in a really rosy rosy scenario there is little uh, it is uh, um, not in if uh, if I may we might be more constructive on um, on Europe, both on the uh, political front, if we uh, if we uh, agree on the uh, EU Council and uh, on the recovery fund and all the um, pledges that have been made so far, Europe will uh, uh, come out much uh, much more stronger than than it is today. And if we go back to the, the globalization uh, investment theme that uh, we mentioned at the very beginning of this uh, this conversation, reinsuring some activities and rethinking. The economic model might be for certain countries really an opportunity to increase productivity. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Monica. So, in this uh, environment, Vincent, coming back to uh, an investment perspective, uh, basically, uh, the question for you is uh, what do you do? Uh, so, you are saying that uh, investors need uh, to be uh, flexible. Uh, so, uh, what do you how do you play that uh, and how do you see uh, the flexibility uh, be? So uh, what, what basically are you looking uh, and what do you think investors should look at uh, in this environment? So it is a multi-billion dollar question. Uh, no, so That's why I'm asking. <laughs> no, uh, first, in this, in this environment, for sure, um, um, portable building uh, is key and should be mastered. Um, and I, I believe... Uh, uh, investors should uh, remain uh, balanced overall in terms of risk exposure uh, and play some rotations in a gradual manner um, uh, because we can see that there are some violent moves. 
uh, rotation towards value and cyclical stocks uh, to, to, to start. Um, and as well, um, on the credit space, um, we are constructive on the investment grade because of all the support which is in place and which will uh, enable um, uh, good good companies to um, to be even better. Uh, we are more cautious or much more cautious on uh, on some high yield names, um, in particular in the middle of the pack, uh, where um, um, you know when you have a bad company, it's not because it is financed that it uh, it will survive. Um, if it is not profitable uh, in the end, uh, it will uh, it will um, it will collapse. Um, uh, there are also some great opportunities on the tech space, but there are also some big traps. So uh, here, selectivity is key uh, to uh, single out uh, companies which are really uh, performing well and have competitive advantages, and the others who are just uh, another. Uh, um, another crazy thing around, um, then there, there has been lots of money put in this space, um, and uh, I will not name uh, some companies recently were at the front of the newspapers, but uh, it is a good uh, reminder that uh, um, um, selectivity should be at play uh, um, and cautiousness um, uh, as well. Um, it might be also a paradox, but my last point is around liquidity because uh, the market is a wash of cash for sure. But at the same time, uh, we see that the market is in one direction, uh, and um, when we will have uh, some dislocation, we know, and I am sure, that the liquidity peak will come back big time. There will be no buyers for some kind of assets. And we can have some discounts, which would be uh, steep. Um, as a reminder, um, two months or three months ago, for some uh, names um, on credit on the credit space or a small makeup, you can have 10, 15 percent discount to the, to the supposedly market price. Um, this, this, this will come back uh, for sure when when there will be more uh, more. Um, uh, short in the market. So, um, um, uh, liquidity is uh, and should continue to be one of the key parameters to consider uh, when you build your portfolio, depending on your own time horizon, of course. Uh, but liquidity as a, as a, is a parameter, as a price, uh, and uh, if you are caught by surprise, if you want to sell when not possible, it, will, uh, it is very painful, uh, naturally, and can destroy several years of performance. So that's uh, the, the main, uh, the main uh, advice, if I may say, that uh, I should deliver today. Okay, no, but uh, <laughs> these are clear, clear advice. Uh, and basically, if, uh, you, you already touched that, huh, but uh, your key investment teams uh, for uh, the rest uh, of the year, uh, I would say uh, the, the most of the, the opportunities uh, you see, uh, you see the most uh, in, uh, I would say, under the philosophy you just described, which remains a philosophy uh, uh, which I think uh, is. Um, it's important to say that because we see a lot of. Uh, things on the market and in the consensus being uh, probably uh, 
outrageously uh, positive. Uh, and uh, Vincent, I think uh, you remind us that uh, a number of things we've seen uh, at the peak of the crisis may come back. So I think it's, uh, it's important uh, to underline that. Uh, but uh, the opportunities that you see uh, or the investment teams that uh, into which you believe the most for before the end of the year? So there is one, um, amongst all the asset classes, um, there is one which, which has not that been uh, loved, actually, or, I mean, um, commented by brokers, etc., uh, because it's not under the umbrella of uh, big central banks. It's the emerging space. And um, and um, we, we, we continue to really like the emerging space, the emerging currencies, uh, not all, of course, hein, because there are some countries which are challenged or struggling, but across the board, We, we see more and more interesting uh, situations in emerging markets. And as in parallel, we believe that the US dollar will weaken. Um, uh, um, this weakening of the dollar and uh, still uh, ultra low rates in, 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 in the US uh, are a very positive catalyst for the emerging markets. Mm. And countries... Um, Um, some emerging countries have, um, have finally a much better or much stronger uh, situation in terms of budget or, um, uh, than uh, developed countries. And, um, and um, uh, gradually, you will see that uh, developed countries will become emerging in a way in terms of finances, while some emerging markets will become developed in terms of soundness. It's a structural thing. And again, not all countries are the same, so selectivity and case-by-case case study is, um, is a norm. But um, uh, when I look at the individual situation of uh, some countries in Asia, North and Southeast Asia, uh, and Latin countries as well, uh, or Eastern Europe, there are some real interesting opportunities on the credit side, on the equity side, and on the currency side. So um, uh, I would strongly recommend uh, that um, uh, local currency, uh, corporate debt uh, should be looked at by investors, emerging equities as well, probably regional equities, so Silk Road, Chinese uh, thing. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's at a discount uh, to, the, to the developed countries, in particular at a quite a big discount uh, compared to the US, while the medium-term perspective is much better. So I would uh, really uh, encourage uh, investors to uh, allocate systematically uh, a portion, uh, quite a big portion of their, of their, uh, of their assets to, to, this, uh, to this global theme. Um, um, well, in equities, uh, I mentioned it just before, it's um, volatility between stocks, between sectors is uh, unprecedented, never seen before. So, so uh, you, you should keep your head uh, cool and think about the fundamentals of each company. Which one will, uh, will uh, go out uh, reinforced from this? Which one uh, has a risk to default or to be nationalized, uh, etc.? Everything has a price. So it's not because a stock uh, has been done by 50% that it is cheap. And it's not because the stock has been up 20% in the crisis that it is expensive. So it's more subtle, of course. So go back to basics, case study, um, single stock picking, um, and, and as an example, the, the active equity management um, uh, for the year at Amundi has been creating lots of value compared to the benchmarks. So it means there, are, there is value in uh, bottom-up and single stock uh, assessment. 
last uh, last thing um, and I know it has been a very fashionable thing uh, uh, that everybody uh, made uh, comments on it huh? but uh, ESG uh, is more and more mainstream and ESG is a clear value creator if well if well performed best in class uh, and ESG is uh, and we have seen it in the crisis is a good indicator as well of a potential risk uh, idiosyncratic risk with companies. So uh, again, uh, we don't comment individual cases, but uh, uh, companies, some companies which has been um, uh, attacked hard um, and, and which uh, has been underperforming a lot during the crisis, um, uh, these companies usually uh, did not have a great ESG footprint so, um, in, in their sector. So. Um, uh, it's something on which uh, investors should really pay attention in a dynamic way, not a static way. So uh, the name of the game is to uh, spot, uh, to identify the um, future ESG uh, leaders or the companies which are improving um, because improvement in this space, in particular on the social pillar uh, and governance naturally, is uh, creating value uh, for the shareholders uh, and the bondholders as well. So that is uh, the last big trend uh, to, to be watched. Well, thanks, uh, Vincent. And uh, on this last point, I can uh, only uh, echo what you are saying. And I think something we start to see, which is uh, interesting uh, in the ESG space, uh, is uh, the evolution between uh, the different factors, uh, probably uh, with uh, I would say a premium for the S part uh, in the current context, which is logical huh, because. Uh, we are ahead uh, of a massive social crisis. And so therefore, in a way, that reflects uh, in uh, the S at the micro level of companies. Uh, but it's uh, the progressive convergence uh, between the social uh, elements uh, of the ESG and the environmental one. And I think this is something that uh, we have started uh, to work intensively on the research side uh, at, uh, at M&D. Um, well, Vincent, I would like to uh, thank you very much. Um, based on that, that would be the last uh, blue conversation uh, of uh, the first part of the year uh, and so uh, the next one will be uh, after the summer uh, in between uh, stay calm drink cold uh, and we hope to see you all in good health uh, in uh, one month to come cheers bye-bye this podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in directive 2004-39-ec dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.